You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Well, I don't know what we're going to talk about. Uh, we wanted, I, I wanted to just raise a little something here, just as an idea. Um, a struggle between science fiction and the so-called mainstream of American literature has gone on for a lifetime. It truly began in the 1950s when hardcover publication of science fiction by mainstream publishers began with critics like Knight and Blish began insisting on higher standards, writers like Bradbury and Vonnegut first achieved crossover success. It continued through the 60s when speculative fiction was a short-lived synonym for stylistically advanced SF. It reached a tipping point, I'd say, in the mid-70s between the publication of Gravity's Rainbow and the release of Star Wars. Uh, that's from Carter Schultz's introduction to Daniel Marcus's book. I thought it was kind of interesting that uh, Carter sort of recognized the, if you a, a maybe a silver age of science fiction. I don't know. Um, I thought it was a kind of interesting idea. I thought I would just throw it out and um, see what these guys thought of it. I stopped reading the stuff years ago. <laughs> Well, it's, uh, I don't know. What, what's the time frame there? Carter, you wrote this thing. What's <laughs> uh, the tipping point? Is that your idea or did you steal it from somebody else? I probably stole it, but I don't remember why I stole it. When was this tipping point? No, I mean, that's when I started reading, like when I started publishing science fiction, you know, and sort of my engagement with it as that's just, you know, just my kind of coming of age with science fiction. It's between that uh, year when Gravity's Rainbow was nominated for Nebula. What year was that? that was I think There's yeah. some really good writers who are not getting into print hardly at all, yes. you know, yes. and um, you mean now or then now, or what? now and and uh, they're not playing the game enough or something. And it, there was a long period during which they they could good writers working in the field of the fantastic and science fiction and speculative fiction could count on getting published in some wise. Uh, and there and uh, it's not. I mean, there are there are exceptions, but uh, not many anymore. Uh, and I, I think that uh, that uh, media-driven in media in terms of movies and so on, and the interconnected uh, relationship between <coughs> tie-ins, you know, between movies and novelizations and Star Wars novels, and and has had a lot to do with driving that. They, that just becomes the perception of what science fiction and fantasy is in the minds of publishers and publishers. Publishing houses have been bought by Exxon. I think Exxon owns one of one or two 
um, and um, and and Viacom, I think, owns some publishing house, one of the big publishing houses, and uh, is it Delacorte or? But I but you know these enormous multinationals, uh, having purchased these houses, uh, changes the the way business is done and the way books are selected. And of course, there are all these cool people who break through from different areas, and nevertheless, and and uh, but it's always a surprise um, to the uh, the people at publishing nowadays if that if it happens. They're surprised that you know somebody suddenly gets hot, and then it's not somebody they would have bought, and they seem very surprised by it. But in the days of you know the kind of more traditional publishing, the editors would have usually seen it coming because they had their fingers in these things. They read the Paris Review or whatever. You know, um, but they're not using those kinds of editors anymore. And hmm. there's also one thing I, last thing I want to say is there's a hell of a lot less copy editing now. Uh, there are sometimes <laughs> you will find, probably Richard and I will have to deal with copy editors at you know uh, at, at Simon and Schuster and EOS. We both, and that'll be good because they're usually going to find mistakes and and con inconsistencies and discrepancies and they push you a little and and it's usually an improvement. But um, I've just been noticing that there, there's less and less copy editing on the whole. There's there, a lot of times, especially if a writer is established, they just take the book and slap it into print. And I think that's a symptom of something. I think it's a symptom of, of treating books more as commodities than ever before and not really not caring. Dan? Yeah, well, you know, I agree with uh, everything uh, John said. I think the. Um, uh, consolidation in the industry together with uh, kind of um, uh, productizing uh, work so that it can be sold again and again in different uh, incarnations um, has led to an uh, uh, incredible uh, uh, drop in uh, the uh, quality of the work we see. And, uh, but I have kind of a somewhat optimistic um, uh, afterward, I guess you could say. I think we're in kind of an interesting state of flux right now. Yeah, there's been all this consolidation in the uh, publishing industry, but I also think that uh, print-on-demand uh, technology is really kind of uh, fueling a resurgence of the small press that can afford to uh, take uh, risks and uh, publish interesting new authors. And I think just the distribution channels just haven't caught up with that. So I really have uh, kind of a uh, so some optimism, I think that, uh, yeah, right now a lot of really good writers aren't getting heard, but uh, the POD stuff is so new, I expect that in the next five, ten years, uh, we're going to see a lot more uh, uh, small presses uh, getting uh, uh, traction and uh, getting, uh, being able to take some, some risks and to uh, make it uh, economically tenable to do that. It can happen because a lot of uh, POD things are sold um, online and through exactly. different, like barnesandnobles.com, although it becomes a little harder now at Amazon um, because apparently Amazon is only going to to uh, uh, sell the POD books that it publishes in, in its new POD line. This is a new policy of theirs or something, mm -hmm. so that's kind of crappy because they're huge, you know, and they have a big effect on these things. But in the general principle, it's it's at least a possibility. Mm -hmm. Anything that makes it possible to exist outside of this, you know, huge steel umbrella of uh, the the big corporations' way of doing things, and this is something similar in the music industry, I think. Yeah, definitely. Well, I just thought it was interesting, though, in uh, Carter's little um, so, um, formulation 
that usually you think of, uh, you know, I would think of uh, pension uh, from pension to Star Wars as from the sublime to the ridiculous or, or as, a, <laughs> as a great falling off, you know. And I think that what was interesting about Carter's uh, or uh, that idea was that that was not the approach. It, it's more about the breadth of it, that the whole, uh, that the field took in all that stuff. And yet at that point, and I think you're right, at that point it was not a fragmented field. It was, it was like this big soap bubble, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and that was a, a kind of remarkable, uh, that was a kind of a remarkable thing that Pynchon got a nebula. Of course, Michael Chabon won a nebula this year, you know, uh, which is uh, a mainstream writer who's, I, I think Pynchon was probably friendly to SF too. Uh, certainly uh, Chabon is, so. Anyway, I thought it was an interesting idea. But let's talk about literature. Why'd you write that story in the present tense? Um, I don't know. <laughs> it's much cooler. Uh, it's much cooler and hipper to write in the present tense if you're a literary writer, man. <laughs> you know who? who where did you? Where did you publish it? Okay. I never knew that. Asimovs. Asimovs? Yeah. Oh, they're oh, now they're getting now they're getting hoity-toity. <laughs> <laughs> Writing in the present tense. Well. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> All right, somebody. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just yanking his chain. <laughs> so, you're a media whore? Yeah. Yeah, see, now that's the way, that's the way you get it done. You know, you get out there in the street and, and you show them your wares and, man, that's, you know, that's where you, that's where you end up, you know, you want to publish now, you, you know, in a kind of a wider scale, almost got to, almost got to. I'm really finding that. I'm, uh. And uh, yeah, I just when I go to uh, in a meeting in New York, I I take along some uh, knee pads. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah. All right. So tell me something about writing screenplays. Do you find that? Um, and uh, seriously, is is that? Um, do you like that discipline better than say the short story, the novel, or is it just? Is it just about the money, or do you? Is there anything you find in the writing of screenplays, um, which you've done quite a bit? It's the money. No, I'm serious. No, I'm serious. You don't like the form itself. Uh, uh, the form? Yeah. I like movies, um, but uh, so you know, I was getting one that you really envision translated into the you know the actual cinema. Uh, it's hard to do. And then b writers get excited when they see, screenwriters get excited when they see an entire scene that was as they visualized it, you know. Except, I mean, there are people like William Goldman or somebody who, or in all these, and, and also auteurs who write their own scripts, and that's different. Woody Allen or something, but, but uh, the majority of, of screenwriters, you know, have to be, are thrilled if there's even 10 minutes that was what they really wrote. I remember that was the case when I wrote television. It was it, television, especially, gets rewritten a lot. And any time there was a few lines that was just how I wrote it, I would get really ha! I slipped one past them, you know. Well, but I'm talking more about not the process, which obviously it's a very collective process, but just the actual. It starts with a literary form, you know. I mean, you've written screenplays. I mean, what do you think of? I'm saying this because I've written a few, and I like the I like writing in a form that's so strict that when you get to page ninety, you know you're almost done. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, 
It's definitely more constrained, and uh, it's um, it gives you less opportunity for for nuance and stuff, which. Just a good yeah, thing, right? It, well, it can be. You know, it depends. I mean, it, it's just a different form. Uh, well, if you if if you are also the director, then then you know you, then you can nuance away because yeah, it's yeah, it's sure. all it's in a you know you uh, you visualize. I mean, I tr I try to write things visually. If I write a screenplay, I try to write it so that you you get a picture and you make them see the picture. And there's an art to that and. And uh, that's that's what you dream of, and that can be really you. That could be a beautiful thing, but uh, really, it's pretty rare. But but the form. I know what you're saying. The f you know the format has a, has its own rhythms, and and uh, the, you know the dialogue is its own musicality, and so on. You can appreciate those things, but I, but it's I've become so cruelly cynical. <laughs> I can, I've lost I've lost my I've lost my ability to appreciate it now. Especially, also, we, we you know, we, they make us use the final draft uh, screenplay software, which is, like, doesn't actually, do, not the one of those, not Dramatica, which almost tries to write the script for you, but final draft is just formatting. But, but it's something about the way that the, the slug lines and so on form themselves for you on the, on the page is, is kind of like, you know, freaky, and you feel like the industry is re reaching in, into your brain and out through your hands, or something. You know, and you feel like you're like, it's like you know, this is what you are now. You know, you are really, it's really rigid, and it's symbolic or something. But dra Dramatica, there's a there's a screenplay program called Dramatica that actually you know suggests plot turns or something, and it's yeah. like. It's in, you know embarrassing that it exists. I don't know if anybody's <laughs> actually used it successfully. I hope not. It probably probably some of the worst big movies that were made were used making it. Judging from some of the movies that have been made. Mm -hmm. So what screenplay are you working? You've done what? Which I'm, ones I'm have you done? In the middle of a uh, screenplay uh, based on a book called Burn Rate, which is a mainstream novel that I'm it's making the rounds right now. And, uh, now, what do you mean making the the books making the rounds? The yes. screenplays making the, the book rounds. is making the rounds. And oh, I'm so it's halfway sc through the screenplay. And how? What kind of deal is that? Who hired you to do that? No, you're, you're doing it on spec. I'm doing it on spec. He's specking it, it out just for fun and to to kind of uh, get uh, get used to the form and stuff. What's burn rate about generally? Um, I like the burn name. rate. Uh, is uh, about this uh, couple who uh, hire someone off the internet to uh, kill them. Surrogate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And there's an Uber mind oh, who comes. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and go on. Um, to uh, have their uh, child for them. And uh, uh, she has some history which she hasn't shared with them uh, in the form of uh, uh, a boyfriend who wants to leverage the situation to extort money from them by staging a kidnapping of the surrogate mother and the unborn child, and a bunch of stuff happens after that. So. Cool. That sounds, that's what would happen if I tried to do that. <laughs> you know, some guy like that would come around and do that. It seems it does seem improbable to me. It seems like just like practically, you know, right out of, ripped from today's headlines. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and it's called burn rate because the uh, guy and the yuppie couple has this startup thing going on. He has his own sort of evolution of his uh, company that's happening while this uh, psychopath is trying to uh, mess with him and his family. So. 
Now, isn't it usually the psychopath that runs the company and the other thing is... Exactly, you know, yeah. You know, okay. yeah. Well, no, my, sounds good. My experience has been, uh, I mean, I've written several screenplays, never like for guild money or... But I think for me, the uh, I think I like the form because I've because one has never been produced, so I've never had that disappointment, you know. <laughs> so so you just see the the words on the page. I, I I you know I was surprised to see how much I I like the form. It's, uh, when I first moved out here, somebody actually got paid to do a screenplay, and I liked it so much I did a couple of others, uh, you know, of something of mine and something of something else, and and. Um, you know, and I actually looked for an agent that would, you know, try to to sell some screenplays. And then a friend of mine who's actually a screenwriter came to visit one day, and he saw a stack of screenplays, and he said, "You, what are you thinking about?" He says, "Nobody in Hollywood ever reads a screenplay. They they want to read a three-page right. treatment, then they'll hire a screenwriter, but they're not gonna they're not gonna read a screenplay that somebody has written." Yeah, it, it goes in phases, but that's often the case. But it, it, it's like that. That was kind of how long ago was that? Oh, about two years ago. Well, maybe it's come back then, because that you know the treatment thing comes and goes, and and they and they have their you know things that are fashionable, and then. You, you never know what's going to happen. Like this woman with a Juno movie, you know, somebody just got interested in her blog and talked her into writing a script, and she wrote it. She had the full script, and she just the right guy took it. And right. well, so yeah. there's it's the whole right guy syndrome when mm -hmm. it comes to finished screenplays, you know. And and the mysterious right guy is out there somewhere, <laughs> you know, and you and you have to identify him and track his track him down and that's a screenplay you know you are the right guy to get my screenplay made you know that could be that's, that's another screenplay that somebody's probably written that one <laughs> and the guy said no I'm not no I'm not I don't have anything I'm just the security guard here no, I, you know no you are and he follows him and so so what are you reading Dan do you read science fiction or just I, besides, of course, Richard and Carter and people like that. Um, what am I reading right now? I read some science fiction. Uh, right now I'm reading a, uh, a new uh, book by Jonathan Lethem called You Don't Love Me Yet. It's not science fiction. It's not science fiction. It's a very cool book, though. Um, Is it not science fiction? It's definitely not science fiction. Oh, that's right, because he's, he's you know, passed into the veil of the, you know, uh, <laughs> the, the cognoscenti and, the, and the, uh, the ones who get invited to do little pieces for New Yorker and stuff. So he's not going to write science fiction. He's, not a, he's no fool. It pisses you off, huh? Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember Jonathan Lethem, my friends. No, he's a good writer. Kidding. Um, so what about... A kid with love. So, so the people that you say do actually get noticed and it sort of surprises the publishers. Uh, who do you mean by that? Uh, well, because they, you know, like probably like Lethem, but also... Um, Jonathan didn't surprise anybody. He stalked them. <laughs> he stalked them. Huh? Yeah. Uh, who's an example? Probably like um, uh, Larry McMurtry going back a few years. No, that's too far. That's too far back. But if you came somebody like that, um, uh, I'd have to think for a while of an example. That's the problem. <laughs> well, I, th I thought you were talking about science fiction. Like uh, no, I'm not. I'm just talking about oh. publishing in general. Oh no, science fiction, you're screwed. No. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> no, I mean, they're, you know, um, who, they're, oh, uh, uh, the guy who wrote um, Stevenson, Neil Stevenson, you know. Um, right. Someone uh, like that. Um, it was a little while ago, but not that long. And um, somehow he kind of did an end run around them and, and was able to find an audience and write really, you know, pretty spectacular stuff. And uh, there are people like that. Uh, Dan Simmons, is that his name? Yeah, I'd agree. Both of them sort of yeah. end run around science fiction in a way. But there's some there's some good stuff coming out too. There's some new guys that have uh, taken uh, some like the uh, the core genre tropes and also inherited some some influence from folks like John and are uh, writing some uh, very interesting, edgy, good stuff. Neil Asher is. Uh, one uh, new author I'm thinking of in particular is a terrific writer. Uh, the stuff is definitely core genre work, but it's uh, it's very edgy, really interesting. So now, where does this guy publish? I don't know. He's a British guy. Huh? Does anybody else know Asher? Yeah. yeah. What kind? What's it like? Kind of like our science fiction written by a psychotic. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Well, I think Bacigalupi is a little like that. We had Paolo Bacigalupi read here. Uh, uh, he he only works in short stuff so far, but uh, it's kind of like that. It's core stuff, but yeah. and uh, you know, I don't know. What do you think of Strauss? Of who? Oh, Strauss. Strauss. Oh yeah, I, I I read one piece by him. He's a, he's a really good writer, but I really I can't keep up. I can't keep up with uh, anything that's that's technical science fiction. I'm you know, I, I only read historical fiction anymore anyway. I, I'm sorry. But that doesn't mean that it's not good. The stuff's all great. It's, I just um, gave up reading it some years ago. I feel like I, I you know, there, you have to be, you have to absorb all this kind of um, contiguous information and collateral information along with it. And I'm not willing anymore. I just kind of don't care that much. It's, I don't know, it also just seems like a vast redundancy. And you and uh, we're living it instead, or something. Well, uh, what bothers me is is uh, how is it that there are more books published than ever, but uh, supposedly fewer people reading? Um, is is the, are we on the edge of some kind of uh, horrible uh, publishing recession, or like you know, like the dot com bust or something, where we're this enormous bubble of books being published, and then suddenly they realize the market for it isn't there because. There was some statistics recently about a, a, nor, a plummet of, of people actually spending time reading books, even people who used to read books. A lot of people are being siphoned off into Internet time. They spend, the time they spent reading is now they spent on the Internet. And I'm even guilty of it, like, for about, I think probably about an hour of my own reading time is absorbed by the Internet. Um, and uh, my kids, you know, my, I asked, tried to get my son to read, my youngest son to read the newspaper and, um, and, and to, to read uh, you know, magazines that I think are like re nutritious material for him. And, and he says, no, I, if I want to know, I go to Wikipedia. I go to, <laughs> I go to BBC Online. I read a couple of paragraphs. I get the gist, you know. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I tried to get him to read Guns, Germs, and Steel, and, and he, he read a summary of it at Wikipedia. <laughs> Really, and discussed it with me, and and I think that's really the the you know there's and there's a whole kind of also internet writing state of mind where people write 
more and more for the internet uh, mentality, and you write everything has to be telegraphic and brief and compressed and for a short attention span, and um, that's part of it. I'm not being a curmudgeon and saying it's all bad. Maybe it's a good thing. I don't know. I'm just saying it's a phenomenon, and it dismays me as a guy who writes print fiction. Pisses you off, huh? Well, yeah, and it worries me. It worries me because, you know, people don't write, for example, epistolary literature is, is dying because people only write emails now. And that's, you can write clever emails that people save, but not very much, really. Yeah, it's full of emoticons, too. Yeah, and it's all, well, yeah. I mean, you get a, for God's sake, I hope they edit out the emoticons they, when they do the, the anthologies of, of uh, emails that nobody will ever read. <laughs> What is that? A text texting novel, wasn't it? Yeah, and in texting format. And but you know that's it's and that's a valid form, you know I suppose, but it's gonna be but it really narrows down. Right. Exactly. A new kind of version of that. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it it's you know it's a frontier thing to do. Uh, but uh, ultimately, you convey less information, don't you? Yeah. Well, I mean, or it, it isn't Dracula. It's not. Well, yeah, it's not right. like I mean, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Does anyone have any uh, comments or questions for our authors or comments they'd like to share? In the back. Oh. Uh, Howard Hendricks was here a while ago, and you had a guy here with him who was giving away his novel on the web, and Howard was saying that's a bad idea. So what, do you, what do you guys think about that? That was Scott, uh, what's his name? Sigler. Sigler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, he has some whole, what is that form at they do these things on? It's, it's uh, and he reads them aloud, and it's streamed or something. And podcast. They, that's it. It's that yeah. podcast <laughs> thing that the, yeah, that they, the, that they do on the WebOnet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Series of yeah, pipes and tubes. I heard some of that in my car one time. <laughs> 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 well, yeah, that's what's sick. But I, I, that's what I was puzzling about. How does he make any, uh, a living from that? Does he get advertising or what? Maybe he doesn't. He was just published by uh, Crown Books. I oh. think the idea yeah, was to, to, to get everybody reading him and then find the pub and then, yeah. Yeah, no, he was he was flush, man. He was, he was, that was part of the whole idea. He was making big money. So why did Howard Hendricks think it, think it was a bad idea? Well, because he wasn't making a lot of money. <laughs> okay. You know, but Scott was making a lot of money. That's, uh, you know. Yeah, but first he had to write all these books for free, kind of, and then and right. then get build up his audience. And But, you know, why not? Yeah, it's I a mean, different uh, flavor of marketing. Yeah, why not? I mean, it's, really, it's really hard to, to break in, so why not? Why not do it that way, I guess? Um, you know, uh, there's probably thousands of people's unpublished books online right now, millions. There's probably scads, and I don't think they're read very often. That's the problem. <laughs> Even if they were good, they probably wouldn't be because people don't read online that much in any concerted, long-thought kind of way. They read, you know, little fragmentary bits. Does anybody here have a Kindle? Who? You do? A what? So, love it. You love it? And I'm buying way too many books. Really? Oh, that's like an ebook. Ah. It's similar to mm. yeah. Amazon's ebook. Now, what do they charge you? About ten bucks for a book, right? Yeah, which actually is not a bad thing from my point of view because it's got a hard a book that came out just came out a year ago. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Huh. All right. What's the battery life on that? Is it going to be about a quarter of the time? Oh, God, yeah. It'll last about a week. About a week, but some books cover years. I think probably for Is this a narrative <laughs> week? Wait. For people who grew up reading books, it's not going to parse. They're not going to. They're not going to twig to it. They're not going to. They're not going to relate very well. But for people who mostly grew up kind of like with computers, it's going to feel all right to them to read a book that way. Well, you're an ex you're very exceptional, but uh, but I think the majority of people who grew up reading books, it's not going to feel comfortable to hold this thing and to read it that way and not turn pages and not have the thing physically. And it just also is hard to me. It does not right for the eyes, but other I think probably it will replace books agreeably for people, and they'll be able to read any kind of quality of book uh, that way because they're they're just used to the. They're just, they would have grown up with the screen, not the book. Yeah, I'm a complete technology and gadget slut, and I have no interest in, in the Kindle. It just yeah, uh, doesn't do our, anything you know, for me. We yeah. grew up with this, and we are bonded with them. We are well, bonded with them. We are, you know, we are, we are bonded. We <laughs> <laughs> Has that really done a very good job of creating a cover such that when it sits in the cover, it feels much like a book? And you just well, oh, that, it does? That mitigates the pain slightly. You know, but uh, but to me, it's it's a, it makes me shudder. But I I, I accept that um, you know that all things must pass. I think probably it will replace books. I think John, I, John people like John and I like to sit back in our chair <laughs> and read our books. Right? Oh, that's going. Uh, they're gone. Chairs. They're you're, you're still sitting in. You're still sitting in chairs. <laughs> At home, chair we don't sit in chairs, man. We got we sit in air cushions now. We, I can see that. Right. Yeah. To me, if I can just load it on something that I can read. I can see yeah. that. I can see that. I don't know how you're going to autograph one of these fucking things. But, uh, but, or what but the here's another thing. Stains, that's books have an aroma. As a book gets older, they have an aroma. This is a crappy old paperback, but it has this incredible aroma. It's yellow. And the, the smell of this. And if you stand in an old used books bookstore and smell this, uh, and there a book uh, room filled with these things. To me, it's like bliss. I'm like, I'm like blissed out. But you wouldn't understand. <laughs> you Carter. kids, you kids wouldn't understand. Right. Carter. Well, it's less efficient in that sense. So you're saying a book is mature technology. A book, maybe a, maybe it's a smaller carbon thing or print or footprint or something. Although no, you got to no, actually no, probably no, not because you got to chop down no, trees. No, and all for hundreds of years, and it's you know it's not going any further. That's <coughs> but I'm wondering if anybody knows uh, what the story is, um, what kind of deals publishers have or have not made with digital books because I think people are aware of this now. You know, you you can you can find previews of imprint copyrighted books that basically give you about. Really? On Google. Presumably, the public, pr probably it's some fine print in the contract when you sign a book contract now that they can do it. 
Yeah. You know, I they bought the e the electronic rights to my last couple of books, and it was in there. And they did a they did a uh, an audio book of one of my things uh, that way. And and then also it can be downloaded in iTunes. And I just barely noticed that happening. Uh, you know, that's probably in there somewhere. Well, of course, all this stuff basically there's a lot of in there, but it all rides an open source wave. I mean, it's like the Cory Doctorow was, you know. Uh, Corey's whole thing is give it away, you know, and I think that's that's the the tendency. There's always people trying to put the brakes on that, but I think it's kind of it's not going to happen. You know, it seems to me like it it becomes well. When you make your living from intellectual property, you can't really be too enthusiastic about the give it give it away. Uh, you know, my my own son has ripped off movies, and this is the the same kid I'm arguing with, and he, you know, steals movies from online. And uh, and I but your father makes money from DVDs of The Crow and other things, you know. And, uh, you know, I mean, you're contributing to the process by which your family is, has money siphoned away from it. And he's, and he's just, just accept it. Just accept it, Dad. That's how it's going to be. Just accept it. You had a statement, a comment? Um, uh, Must have forgot it. I, I, I work nominally in, in the print industry, and uh, we are in a uh, high-tech industry, 500 years old, thank you very much. Um, I, I was just thinking uh, something I read uh, two months ago, uh, Charles Strasser's Glass House, where about 100 or 150 years of history, starting about mid-20th century onto really past, is completely lost because everything that was written down was in tape media and it's all gone uh, right black ink on paper it may be foxed it may smell smell good but you know, <laughs> uh, it will survive and I, I just wonder is like all these brilliant things written down <laughs> on the uh, interweb there uh, <laughs> yeah no it's true one Well, I have a question that, that uh, for Jacob, who's the Tachyon's publisher. Now, some, we were talking about this with, uh, I was talking about this with another publisher a few weeks ago, a small anarchist press in, in uh, Oakland. And he said uh, that, like Borders, for example, makes more money selling space to publishers to put their books in the front of the store than they do from actually selling books. Wow. So they're so they're oh actually. God. Have you ever heard that? Is that true, Jacob? Um, I can't tell you about the actual whether there is more money than selling books. That is a deceptive practice. Nominate. Nominate. <laughs> you don't have to wait for, uh, for, for them to say, well, it's in this book, or West Coast of Yuri 
Interesting. It's almost like they become a subsidiary of the publisher then, and, you know, and of the multinational that owns the publisher. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it means they're just firing all their buyers, you know. The buyers used to know something. Yeah, they don't, they don't need to. The grocery industry, this is how the grocery <coughs> stores have worked. That's right. It sounds like groceries. They're basically following a very old marketing model. You mean? For that, that eye level shelf. Cheerios are at eye level. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? You know, now Simon and Schuster has to pay in the, in the grocery model. Interesting. Well, the thing that always, the thing I always, yeah, the thing I always liked about Amazon as a science fiction writer, uh, you know, but my friends would say, oh, don't buy from Amazon, they're big business and stuff. They keep the small bookstores in business and the science fiction bookstores fan. But as, as far as the small bookstores, if you're a science fiction writer and you walk in these small bookstores, they have no idea who you are. And you go to Amazon and there's total equality. I mean, everybody's there. And Amazon uh, right now is not doing that at all. They're not selling space, right? Um, now they're trying to sell their technology to do POD, I guess. But they don't sell preferential listing or anything like that? Well, we wouldn't know if they did. Maybe they do. <laughs> well, they have this uh, suggestion engine, you know, that tells you what you're going to like. But I don't think that's – I don't know. I don't – Or maybe on their index page or their – their you know, their homepage, when you get there, there's going to be some books that are more likely displayed there and maybe because of deals, be. corporate deals. But when you're, when you're doing a search and you're looking for particular authors, that, you know, uh, that equalizes things. Yeah, it does. Well, we should wrap it up. Uh, thanks for coming out, guys. We're, uh, what's our date? It's the 14th, Jacob, of June? Oh, not for the movie, for the uh, for the reading. May I, is it the twenty first? It's been moved to the twenty first. He must be. I, well, I. All right. Is that? That's correct. Okay, June twenty first. I thought it was the fourteenth. Oh, all right. I better check my books. All right. We're having Carol M. Schwiller and Pat Murphy. Carol, uh, if people. I hope know who Carol is. She's one of the jewels in the crown, and uh, certainly. And uh, Pat also. Pat's one of the dreadlords of cyberpunk here in uh, San Francisco. So, and it's the 21st, right? Well, that's not much of a recommendation. <laughs> but oh. <laughs> well, really? Okay. No, no, I, I, I agree. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be trying to remember my last name at that time. So, uh, you know, I'll no. be, I envy it. No. All right. Cool. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Hey, thanks. Oh, that's, that's the connection. Skeletons. Fighting skeletons. Thanks for coming, guys. These guys are signing books. Uh, have another beer. Thanks again for coming out and supporting SFNSF.
You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Thank you.